Ellie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. So uh, we have with us Ellie Cooper. Uh, she is an author. She is a motorcyclist. I'm in California and she is in the UK. So we're recording this interview. It's nine o'clock in the morning on Friday the 13th here in California, and it's 5 p.m. there in the UK. Uh, so thanks for joining us for this interview. So uh, for some of our listeners and, and readers, uh, you may recall if you, uh, you're a subscriber to Writer Magazine in uh, July of last year, we had a feature by Ellie called The Himalayan Cliffhanger. And it was this really great gripping story about her riding uh, India's death road. It's this road that is carved out of the cliff face that's 2,000 feet above a river. And it's a really harrowing sort of experience that she shares and with some great photographs. And I'm also pleased to report that we have a second feature by Ellie called India from Head to Toe. It's in our November 2023 issue. The digital edition of that just actually came out today. And she shares her experience riding from really the high passes of the Himalayas in the north of India, all the way down to the very southern tip of India, a trip that's some 4,500 miles. And she really shares the the breadth and, and diversity of, of what India is like and that experience from riding a motorcycle. But uh, as I said, you're in the UK now. Uh, you uh, spent a lot of time in India. And how did you end up there in the first place? Yeah, um, I was trapped there in the pandemic, actually. So I was only supposed to go across for a month um, and then everything all just shut down. And I did have a choice to go home or not. Um, and I don't know. I thought maybe I would just might extend my stay there a little bit and it would all blow over in a couple of weeks. And of course, we know it did not. So then I just sort of made India home. Um, we were trapped in one place for nine months, another place for three, another place for five. And my plan was really was that um, the Himalayas was just very free and very open and they'd cut off from the rest of India. So it was really just like a bit of a playground. You know, everyone was a bit freer up there and um, there weren't so many there weren't so many rules. Um, and really, like the Himalayas were completely empty. So my plan was I need to sort of get out and go up into the mountains um, and yeah, it, it became possible. I'm not quite sure how. I, I sort of jumped on a scooter and learned to ride that and then decided that that wasn't quite enough for me. And I wanted to try a motorbike. And um, yeah, just on very empty, sort of shut down roads with like uh, big steep drops and in the mountains, um, <laughs> in the Himalayas, just in the foothills in Rishikesh. That's where I learned to drive. And I was just totally self-taught. I just took a bike, rented it for a week and just sort of went off on an adventure. And that's how I started riding. Wow. So, so when you lived in the UK, you didn't ride a motorcycle before all of this was during your yeah. lockdown pandemic experience in India. Exactly. No, I, I honestly, I thought um, it would be something really fun to try. And I, I didn't even have a driving license, to be honest. I didn't have a driving license for um, a car or anything. I had no experience on a motorbike at all. It was just something I felt that I had to do. Can't explain it. Just, it was time to start uh, being a motorcyclist. Wow. So, I mean, I'm sure we can all think back. I mean, it's it, it, for some people, it's a, it's, you know, dark experience. It's, it's, it was, we, everybody went through their own pandemic experience, but, you know, I was somebody who was at home and most people during lockdown were, you know, they were isolated in, in a place that they're familiar with, they're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. um, you were visiting India and the lockdown happened. So you basically are in a completely different country, very different cultural experience than the mm -hmm. UK. What was that like to be in that sort of environment uh, when everything was, Everything unfolded in a, you know, um, 
nobody really knew what was going on, at least in, in and I'm talking about being in the United States. It was very mysterious for a long time. So getting information, figuring out what you're supposed to do, what you can't do and so forth. What was that like in a completely different, you know, unusual environment? For sure. Uh, India has this culture of really taking care of each other. And I think that was really evident, actually, in the in the pandemic. So even though things got shut down, even though the roads were closed, you know, the tourists were taken care of. There was always people um, giving meals on the street um, and taking care of all the people that came through Rishikesh, where I was. Um, you know, restaurants would sort of like blink their lights three times so that you knew it was ready and you could go and grab some food and then sneak away again across the street back into lockdown um i mean the indians they they really believe there's a river that runs through rishiket river gang they call it ganga but it's the river ganges and they really believe that it purified and kept you safe and so they just said you know until covid gets to us we're not going to deal with it we're just going to um you know keep our keep our lives the same and take care of each other and and just look at wellness and try to take care of ourselves until it comes so they were still playing cricket you know there were the <laughs> Indians out the back playing cricket it was it was kind of great so we all had rules we all stuck to them but everyone really took care of each other and my experience was just complete kinship between the Indians and the foreigners it was great well uh, you were saying that you were in, in the Himalayas the foothills of the Himalayas of course you know India's got a population of over a billion people in some places mm. there's enormously crowded cities but you're in a place where sounds like it was the perfect place to social distance. You were in a place that didn't have a lot of population and you could sort of be outdoors, um, but not necessarily be around a lot of other people. So is that was did COVID not really have a big impact on that part of India when you were there? Well, they were really clever. They actually shut off the foothills of the Himalayas and they just didn't let anyone in or out. And that included the police. So actually, we had like no law for ages. Um, and everyone who was uh, sort of in the restaurants was given the job of being a policeman. Um, anyone who sort of worked in the village shop was also sort of given uh, the, that privilege. And so everyone just sort of muddled along and did the best they could. Um, and sort of sorted out themselves in society without actually that that need for real strictness. Uh, but they did come along with sticks occasionally uh, to come and hit people and get them back in the get them back in the houses, which worked. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. But I actually started in the south. Um, I was in Kerala, and I just had this feeling in the middle of the night, and I just booked a plane and went straight to the Himalayas. And I don't know how I knew it was going to get much worse, but I, the Indians at, at, in um, Kerala, they told me um, that COVID was in the sea. And that I shouldn't go swimming. And I thought, well, with that mentality, that makes no right. sense. Right. So I got myself out, went to the <laughs> went to right. the mountains just so I could see a bit of sky if I was going to be trapped. Right. So that was the plan. And then I ended up staying there for nine months in, in lockdown. So, yeah. Wow. Well, I just uh, we will get to this maybe a little bit more, but uh, you've published a book called Waiting for Mango Season. Um, yeah. I, I, I tore through that book uh, flying, you know, I, I went to the Barber Vintage Festival last weekend and I read it cover to cover on, on the plane. The great thing is because you basically share your story about how you ended up in India and what your experience was like going, you know, through this, you know, trying mm -hmm. to get to the north, so forth. You're getting involved in motorcycles. So anyway, I, I highly recommend it's available on Amazon. Ellie Cooper is the author. The name is Waiting for Mango Season. We'll talk about it a little bit more, but I just want to say, Anybody wants to really get a, a really in-depth and I think a very personal and honest account of what your experience was like there. Uh, it was a very touching book, very honest book. And like I said, it was very readable. I went right through it in, in a matter of hours. So, mm -hmm. so you, you got up into the Himalayas. And, and so tell us a little bit how, like I said, how you got into riding the motorcycle. Was it 
a way for you to get around? Was it just a way to pass the time or, you know, what was it? Yeah, of course. Well, it, it had come to about eight, nine months and the, and the lockdown was lifting. There was rumors that we would soon be free and, and uh, everyone would be able to move around again. And I just thought, I've got to go. I've got to get out. And I was already so close to the Himalayas and I'd already dreamt of going up there. Um, but I'd always done public transport before. And, and I, now I had this these skills on this on this bike that we'd messed around on. And I just thought, brilliant, I'm just going to set off and go. So me and a pal rented two bikes. I don't know how they rented them to us. I have no idea. <laughs> we we had one one license between us. Um, it, it was quite amazing, really. They They just sort of trusted and let us go off on these bikes on this epic trip for about seven to 10 days, right up into the top, really, really... Um, I want to say about 14,000, 15,000 feet high um, on the roads. We had the best time and I, I really learned to ride in that time. That was that was really tricky, really difficult roads, really fast traffic, high precipices, huge inclines. Um, yeah, and that's in sort of like the Uttarakhand area of India. So that it's great riding, by the way, wow. amazing um, hairpin bends, just gorgeous. Well, I mean, you just know, decided I know what... on a whim, really. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know what it's like learning to ride on fairly flat roads and in pretty basic environments. And, you know, a lot of people, and you know, sometimes learn to ride in parking lots or on back roads. But to basically mm -hmm. some what it sounds like very challenging riding, you know, I, I have ridden in India once. I was at a Royal Enfield launch back in, in January of this year. It's a pretty much a free for all in terms of, you know, what people do on the roads. Uh, it's 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 somewhat organized chaos. And uh, but then when you're talking about being on very steep roads and and probably the road conditions in terms of surface and so forth, all that stuff is difficult for even an experienced motorcyclist. So that was your baptism by fire, it sounds like. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I'd never done a hill start before. Do you know what I mean? Like I was, yeah. I was doing hill starts and rolling backwards into, into uh, the cars behind me. It was it was a trial by fire massively yeah. because I, and I think it's made me a much better rider because I've been on every surface now. You know, in the first week I was on gravel and mud and just this really sort of like thin sand that sort of like moves the bike around. It was it was mad. Every two minutes, the landscape changes in India as soon as you go to the Himalayas. And you can be prepared for nothing. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, huge trucks coming your way and refusing to move or whether it's, you know, a, a herd of cows asleep, um, which is usually why you don't drive at night because um, right. they're really hard to see. Right, right. <laughs> um, but being prepared for anything at any point, I think it's made me a much better rider. And, and actually the fear has gone you know, which yeah. is a massive thing. I sure. just, I, I'm not, I'm not scared of the road. And I think that's a big thing is when you learn to drive over a certain amount of time and, and you would think of India as something to work up to, but because that was my first thing, take everything with a pinch of salt these days. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So tell us about, uh, so you, uh, you started with a scooter, uh, you rented a motorcycle for a short period of time, but then you yeah. bought your own bike. So tell us about how you bought a bike and tell us about the, the name that you gave your bike. Yeah, for sure. So I was on an, on an Avenger first, um, and that was the rental bike. And uh, the back wheel was really slippy. It didn't do well in the mud, and I wasn't keen. Um, and so I thought, no, I'd, I'd, I'd like to try an Enfield. And I was down in Goa, and um, we heard news that, again, the lockdown was going to come. It was the second one. And I thought, oh, no, not again. And I'd had such fun in the mountains, I decided to go back. And so I started looking for a bike. I thought I'd really like to ride up India. Um, right. 
and, and go back to the mountains that way. And me and my partner at the time, he already had a bike. Um, so we started looking for me and I, I drive past this garage and this knackered looking old military green chip paint, rusty old bike is just screaming at me. It's it's just propped up on the side. And it was more like, here's a garage. Here's an example of a motorbike. It looked absolutely ruined this bike <laughs> and I I went in and I asked him if he had any bikes for sale and I didn't think the one out there was for sale and I, honestly to be fair I didn't think it would run and when he quoted me a much higher price which actually at the time was only about eight hundred dollars yeah for an, for a new one because everyone right. was getting rid of their bikes right he said no I'll give you that one um for about 300 English pounds Wow. Um, but it needs about 200 pounds work on it. And I said, brilliant. Can we do it within the week? Right. Let's go. Okay. Um, took it for a test drive, fell in love with it, ended up driving quite far. But then when the lockdown came, I had to put the whole thing on a train and take it the rest of the way to the Himalayas. And putting it on a train is an experience in itself because that's a whole other ball game. Right. Yeah. Right. So tell us about the name that you gave. Uh, this is a Royal Enfield 350. Uh, it's a Machismo is the model. Machismo, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I called her Ulu. So in India, there's a bit of, um, most people call their bikes something powerful, right? And and we've right. all, it, it's across the world that way too. But they usually call it after like a god or a goddess. And, and there's millions of gods in, in uh, Hinduism. And so I, I thought, right uh, there's a character in a story it's a it's a white owl and one of the goddesses she rides into battle on this white owl and I thought well I'll be in the mountains I'm almost at the top of the sky it seems very fitting and so I called her uh, Ulu which means oh. white owl white yeah. owl great great well I, you know I know you share this in, in some of the articles uh, that you've published in writer as well as uh, in, mm. in great detail in your book I know that you've you've had some challenges with Ulu in terms of keeping her running, uh, you know, it's it's mm. uh, it, it's a bike that you said was already uh, pretty used and abused when you got it, yes. and you've put some miles on it. So yeah. I know you've had challenges, uh, you know, uh, finding people to work on it um, mm. and so forth. But so tell us about how you ended up, you know, uh, basically using Ulu to travel uh, through India. I mean, it's a big country. There's a lot going on there. So mm. what, what motivated you to just say, hey, I'm going to explore this country by motorcycle? Well, everybody said, don't take a classic motorbike into the Himalayas. Don't do it. You know, it will break down and no one will know how to fix your bike because it's a machismo. It was difficult to get the parts. But I thought if I have the parts with me already, brilliant, can't go wrong. So I don't know. She just wouldn't quit. It didn't matter what I did with this bike, where I went. Her suspension is fantastic. You know, I was driving through really difficult terrain and I would see bikes littered along the mountains where people had just given up they'd given up on their bikes and Ulu just didn't quit didn't matter what I did to her what I drove her through rivers mountain streams anything she she was fantastic and so I just thought I wonder how far I can take her and the dream was always to cross India but I I, I thought I would do south to north and instead I just went all the way down and I didn't, I didn't stop um, except, you know, for refueling and, and really to just like experience the places that I wanted to on the way down and spend time with locals. But yeah, it just became the only mission, which was just to conquer Ladakh to Kanyakumari. So, um, you know, in the Himalayas, uh, you know, what most of, most of us have not been there. Uh, it's uh, what, one of the things that's truly breaking my heart is um, in uh, 
couple of weeks, uh, Royal Enfield's doing a Himalayan uh, launch in the yes. Himalayas. It's going to be based in Manali. Um, yeah. And so I went to, as I said, I went to India for uh, in Rajasthan for the Super Meteor 650 launch. And uh, yes. that was a great experience, but, you know, it's a very flat area. The roads are very straight. It was not really what I would call enjoyable riding. So the idea yeah. to be able to ride in the Himalayas uh, on a Royal Enfield, it's always been kind of a bucket list dream because I know there's mm -hmm. tours you can do. So Unfortunately, I'm not able to attend that launch. We're sending somebody else. So I'm really heartbroken to miss, you know, seeing that in person, uh, that area. But that's an area, of course, you know, high, the highest mountains in the world. So you were conquering mm -hmm. uh, passes that were, some of them were over 16, 17,000 feet. And you're doing this on a very low powered motorcycle. Uh, was it, what were the <laughs> conditions like on some of those roads? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to be prepared for anything when you set off. So actually, it was landslide season. It was just, it was right in the middle of the monsoon. Luckily, Ladakh, right at the top, is there's a rain shelf. So actually, past a certain point, you don't get any rain. But we did get snow and God, the the storms, the sandstorms. When you get to the desert part, right in the yeah. middle, um, halfway between Manali and Leh, yeah, just had to be prepared for anything. I mean, so I, again, I was still quite quite green actually. Like I didn't know an awful lot about mechanics, but every time she broke, I would learn something new, and so I knew that I needed to change my carburetor jet, for example wasn't possible on the way up but on the way back down managed to change it completely different bike you know right. if you get if you get it right, right um you know deciding sort of what oil and stuff to put in it was all stuff I had to learn to make her run the best way that she could so as soon as I changed my jet she was a different bike but yeah I mean I was standing on the pegs the whole way up most of the inclines um with a passenger on the back that I've managed to pick up for a little bit and uh, some luggage so really I mean <laughs> she did really well yeah yeah well yeah. And it's it's so interesting is that you know uh, it, it's all relative it's context in the United States a 350 is considered a small bike there's just not many people yes. not, people ride them on the roads and here you are talking about conquering the some of the highest you know roads in the world in terms of passes mm -hmm. you can go over and you've got not only yourself you've got a passenger you've got luggage uh, you've got, you know, the wrong carburetor jet in, in an old beat up bike and but yeah. you managed, you got through it. And it sounds like, you know, what really comes through, particularly because you've got much more detail in, in your book, mm -hmm. Waiting for Mango Season, is that there's really an affection that you have for your motorcycle. I know a lot of people oh, massively, bond with, yeah. their, with their bikes, but especially when you've gone through really challenging circumstances, it sounds like mm -hmm. you had, it wasn't the easiest ride in any way, shape or form, but it also was, you know, it, so anyway, that was, a, that's a great mm. part of the book. It's just the connection between you and your bike and your, you said that your bike never, you know, Ulu never gave up on you and you never gave up on her. So that was, yeah, that was great. That's so, true. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I really feel like that way. You know, I always joke back in the UK and I, I don't really have many rider friends back in the UK anymore. Yeah. And um, I always say to them, you know, some people have kids and some people have motorbikes and I feel like she is my she's like she takes all my money right, you know right. like she behaves badly sometimes but god right. I love her yeah absolutely yeah. yeah so share with us a little bit as you kind of come down out of the Himalayas you know what are some of the other uh kind of landscapes and experiences that you went through as you went all the way to the south again I know like I said India is a mm. big country so uh, what other sort of environments did you see yeah, of course. So, I mean, I started up in the Himalayas, which as anyone who's ever been there will tell you, it goes from um, desert to snow 
to thick mud to green pastures. It's just, it's stunning. Every 400 kilometers, it will change. Every 200 sometimes. And it, it's incredible. You know, the boulders you have to cross with those bikes and uh, the nalas, which are like massive streams, uh, rivers, everything. So the Himalayas itself was every, it was different kind of continents to be fair. In a way, it really felt like I was crossing the world. And then at the at the foothills, it really starts to get sort of hot and dense and a, a like um, very humid and lots of sandstorms, which it just when you hit the bottom of the mountains, that's usually what will happen. You get lots and lots of sandstorms. So driving through those was a massive experience. It gets drier and drier as you go through Rajasthan and the desert. Um, but it's not all sand. I mean, if you go really, really far out to, gosh, like Jaipur and uh, Jai Salma, you can go much, much, much further, like Ran of Kutch, and um, it's just white sand. But then it starts to sort of, you get oasises and gorgeous like plantations and trees and bobs down into jungle for like Udaipur. Um, yeah, just gorgeous. And, and the cultures change, of course, as you go. Um, so the food changes. It's ever so different tastes as you go down. Little, little differences. The languages change. Suddenly people don't speak Hindi anymore as you go into Tamil Nadu. And I don't know so much Hindi, but I know enough to get by. And right. um, suddenly I was communicationless, really. There was not a lot of English spoken in both Tamil Nadu and Karnataka and then Kerala. Um, and so you go through jungle and it's just lush coconut plantations um, really big cities like Mumbai. And I think just because I'm me, I wanted the extra challenge of trying to do Mumbai at rush hour, which is something <laughs> I've always dreamed of. I don't know why. I thought if you're going to do it, you know, yeah, really go yeah. for it. Mumbai at rush hour was one of the most fun drives I've ever had. It was like being in Mario Kart or something. It was fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then finally down to just beautiful beaches and and oh just really gorgeous yeah it oh. changes a lot and it was so worth it the whole ride that's fantastic because you know it, there are certain countries that are very large and very diverse you know uh in their you know landscapes and topography and it sounds like you know that's very much what you experience in india and that's not something you know people may visit like i did i went to rajasthan i experienced this one sort of area of india and got to see mm -hmm. that but I didn't get to see, you know, the mountains. I didn't get to see the jungles. I didn't get to see so much more so that you've covered so much of the area. But also, again, what I read in your book is, as you said at the beginning of the interview, is that, you know, part of the Indian culture is to take care of each other. And so mm -hmm. that you, um, even though you were a foreigner, especially during a time of lockdown where the lockdown period was not very nice to, you know, foreign people in the United States, but that you were, you were taken sure. care of, you were embraced. And even if you didn't speak the language, you weren't ostracized. You were you were welcomed into uh, these different cities and places where you stayed. Mm. And so uh, it sounds like it was uh, a really a, a wonderful experience. So, yeah. but not without its challenges. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, definitely. But I just feel really lucky that at that point I had a bike because it was total freedom. You right. know, there were stories of people taking the train and getting stuck halfway up. India and sleeping wow. in the train station right. because of course then what do you do without the public transport so the best thing I could have done was to get that bike and just to have complete autonomy right. Right. to be able to cross borders when they were open and to just sort of have the Himalayas as a playground for so yeah. long yeah. um yeah and then and also you write about um you know it, I don't think you see so many different landscapes within one country. Um, I'm desperate to do South America and some other rides. I'm sure it would be right. absolutely incredible. But this was the first time that I felt like I was in a country with different countries in one. And yeah, it was breathtaking. 
So uh, from the time that you first uh, arrived in India, just before the, you know, the pandemic lockdown, so that would have been early 2020, how long were you in the country? Two and a half years before I made it back to see any family. Um, yeah, when it first happened, like re repatriation flights and stuff, um, although they were advertised for the same price online, it was actually about four grand to get back. Wow. Oh, my God. Which was just, yeah, it was impossible. Um, yeah, just a difficult situation. And I'd had such support from, you know, the the Indians and the communities where I was. I felt really safe. I never yeah. once felt, you know, scared to go back. I got ill a couple of times, which was fun. That really sort of pushes you. And especially when you get ill on the bike, because when I was right at the top, I found I couldn't eat. You know, the altitude really played with me and I felt right. that I couldn't eat anything. So I think I made it across. Well, Manali Tale was basically done on a Snickers bar, a couple of bites of rice. Um, yeah, it really, I don't think I really ate any food. So that was, yeah. Your book, you talked about eating both ginger and garlic. I know ginger is something that people uh, eat when they have like seasickness if they're on a boat, but does garlic or, or ginger, does it help yeah. with the altitude sickness as well? For sure. So it helped me. So the great thing yeah. about India is they have lots of holistic medicine, right? right. So somebody's always got some something in your pocket, which is going to help someone, <laughs> you know, if right. anyone's in trouble. Right. And um, I mean, you can also buy like medicine for like nothing over there. You know, any pill you need, you just go straight up and ask for it. No doctor's appointment. So there is also that, you know, actually it was learned from the Sherpas. So the Sherpas, who, you know, God, they've lived in the mountains for years and they, right. they said, you know, you hold ginger under your tongue or you chew it and it's something it's a reaction within the saliva which means that um it sort of makes you uh yeah it, it sort of makes you makes you thirsty and it's same as eating like a sour sweet it, ah. it gets rid of the nausea and the garlic as well same same thing i mean it, it could just be that someone told me something and i believed it but it got me through um <laughs> And I, you know, I've, I've heard it's worked for a few other people as well, but yeah. for sure they eat a lot of garlic in their food. And, and yeah. yeah, but there were some rules, you know, that don't eat so much protein when you go up to the mountains, you know, a lot of carbs, It the body right. deals with it better. Right. Yeah. Lots of rules for riding in the mountains. Sure. <laughs> but well, usually I think about, really I think, easy, simple things. Well, I, I think about, uh, I'm trying to put into perspective because I know one of the passes uh, was it Sachs Pass or S A C H S? How do you Sox Pass? How do you pronounce that? Um, Sach Pass, yeah. Sach Pass, yeah. So that was over Sach Pass, yeah. Sach over seventeen thousand feet, if I remember correctly. And so in the United States, uh, within our within the continental United States, the um, lower forty eight, as they call it, the tallest mountain is here in California. It's called Mount Whitney, and it's quite an achievement to be able to climb to the top of it. But it's 14,500 feet. And when I was up there, I remember how completely exhausted I was from um, just the thin air and yeah. oxygen. Some people get very nauseous and so forth. But so I can't imagine riding a motorcycle another 13,000, another 3,000 feet higher than that. Um, and just trying to sort of keep your wits about you. Again, you're talking about having to ride on, on not so great roads. You're dealing with traffic. You're dealing with, I don't know if there's any livestock up there, but you know, boulders and all kinds of stuff. And it's super thin air. And so your reaction time, your sense of judgment mm. and, and responsiveness is probably really impaired. So that's quite an achievement. Yeah, thanks. Well, I, d I don't think I ever really thought about it. I think the best <laughs> way sometimes to do something is not to prepare, because I think that's where the fear comes from as well. You know, sometimes when you just take what's thrown at you and you deal with it, it doesn't seem like such a big deal. And then when you get to the bottom, you think, gosh, what did I just do? 
Um, you know, there was absolutely not, there was nowhere to grab food, everything because of the season, they were just about to close all the passes. And I was desperate to complete, um, such pass and cliffhanger before I went back down. And I think I did it with two or three days grace. Um, and so they'd shut everything, you know, there's, they call it a Darba, like a very small sort of eating house, um, or a chadar tent, which are just tents that pop up and feed people. The Indians are great for that. You know, like they always try and take care of everybody but they were all shut so I think I did the whole of Satch Pass which took an entire day um because the weather conditions were so bad I had to pull over a couple of times um I think I did the whole thing on a packet of peanuts so it's not (laughs) yeah and there's a picture you published I'm, I'm I'm sure and I think I'm lying on the bike with my feet up and um I think I just needed 10 minutes because the air was just so thin yeah yeah, you can only um, imagine. Just exhausting, absolutely exhausting, yeah. but fantastic riding. Wow, I would recommend to anyone to do such pass. Um, and quite quite tricky too. The downhills, it's a lot of it's slate as well, so really slippy. Wow. But gosh, the downhills were fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so you were in India for two and a half years. Uh, you're back in the UK. So sort of what's what's next? Are you going back to India? Or are you going somewhere else next? Uh, what what's what's your what are your plans? Yeah, well, see, now the problem is you sort of have to top it, don't you? So God knows where that, that where that means next um, for the next big biking adventure. But I'll be back to India in a couple of weeks. And I didn't touch the East Coast last time. And there's a lot of different, uh, well, there's a lot of different cultural differences. And, and I've heard the food's fantastic. So I think I'd really love to try the East Coast this time. Um, and also, you know, I'm quite interested in doing Nepal. I'd like to bike Nepal. So if that materializes, I'd, I'd really love to do that and um, kind of explore those regions. You know, that it's it, jungle again in like Assam and Sikkim up in the top and the tea plantations just sounds wonderful. So I'd love to try that. Um, and then eventually I'd love to really try going overland. Um, we'll see what happens. We'll see what bike yeah. I choose to do that. I'm not quite sure Ulu would make it all the way back to the UK. Uh, um, yeah. We could definitely try. That would be quite, that would be quite an epic uh, journey for sure. For sure. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're yeah, uh, returning to India. I mean, it certainly seems like a place that you've developed a great affection for. I mean, you'd be really, it was your home. It took care of you for two and a half years. Mm. Um, and so that's, that's great. I mean, you expected to be there for just a short time. So uh, again, I highly recommend picking up a copy of uh, Waiting for Mango Season, uh, Ellie Cooper's really wonderful book. It's really eminently readable. It's really about um, her love of India, her love of her motorcycle and the experiences that she had. She speaks really honestly about uh, some really challenging things, but also really a lot of beautiful moments and experiences you had with people and on your motorcycle. So it's available on Amazon. It's uh, pretty cheap. Get a paperback copy of it. Um, so uh, if people want to follow you, uh, how do they do that? Kind of keep up with what you're doing. Yeah, of course. I'm on uh, <laughs> It's true. I'm on Instagram. Um, so it'd be elliecooper.author on Instagram. And I usually post bike videos and, and updates on there too. Um, and you can also email me at elliecooperbooks at gmail.com. Um, and uh, to be honest, I have quite a lot of people I write to. They tell me about their experiences um, in dip biking in different countries. We've got a little community going. So let's see what happens with that. Um yeah, I try and keep myself off uh, social media too much because I think like the experience is, is not being tied to a desk and not being tied to a computer. And that's really why I haven't done the blogging thing. I have to say, I feel it takes a lot of time and, and energy away from what I want to be doing, which is biking in the great outdoors. Um, so, yeah, I, I prefer to write things down and, and uh, publish them later and just enjoy the experience. Well, that's one of the, again, one of the things I, I uh, really enjoyed about your book. 
so that you have some sort of short chapters of your book where the text is written in uh, kind of short uh, vignettes or snippets and it's in italics. Those were almost like they were maybe journal entries that made it yeah. into your book. And then you wove that into the longer narrative. Is that, is that accurate? Exactly. That's exactly what it was. It was, it was almost like they would just come pouring out of me. Um, and it was just really kind of like a, a description for anyone who had never been there. I wanted to, um, I, I used to be a, a teacher who worked with a lot of autistic students. And I really understand that need for for experiencing things on a sensory level. You know, people will tell you that India is all about the sights, the sounds, the smells, the colors. And it is, um, it can be overwhelming, but you know, one little smell takes you all the way back there. Um, it, the colors are something else. And it's just, it's really easy to think of India as this really, it can be quite a scary experience to think about going there for the first time. But, you know, if you could, oh, God, you know, the first the first bite of some of the street food or, you know, the the way that um, an auntie who, you know, like a an older woman in the community or uncle, somebody who's uh, acts like a father figure, you know, the way that they they touch your head to say hello or, you know, there's just lots and lots of really beautiful things about India that I felt needed telling. And that didn't work in a regular narrative. So sure. I just felt it needed to come out like that. Right. Ah, well, that's great. Well, and, you know, I confession I'll make is I you know I, I'm not a big fan of always being on social media it's something we do as part of the magazine but um, you know it's just it, it I agree with you having the experiences rather than you know always reading about other people's experiences or having to document your own experiences for some sort of audience it's you know that that's I can certainly understand that so again it's uh, Ellie is e-l-l-i-e cooper dot author at uh, on Instagram and that's Ellie Cooper books at uh, gmail.com that's correct. Uh, via email and then like I said waiting for mango season uh, is available on Amazon and then of course uh, if you subscribe to writer uh, you can read uh, in the July 2022 issue is uh, Ellie's great account mm -hmm. of the Himalayan cliffhanger this harrowing road that she conquered and then uh, in the November 2023 issue is uh, she uh, has her account of riding India from head to toe. So thank you very much for sharing your uh, stories with for our sure. audience. Thank you very much oh, for being on the show. Thank you so much for the invite. And can I just open it? If anybody has any questions about India or anything that they want to know about driving in any of the areas that I've been in, I'd love to hear from you. Please just send me an email or something. It's, it's, um, there's some incredible roads. You just have to know how to find them. Yeah. Sounds great. I'd love to go back to India and experience it. So I'll definitely hit you up for some tips. So uh, for the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast, I'm Greg Drevenstead. Thanks for listening and keep the rubber side down. If you've enjoyed listening to the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast, please subscribe, leave us a positive rating and tell your friends. We also encourage you to visit writermagazine.com where you can get the latest in motorcycle news and reviews and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can also subscribe to print and digital editions of Writer Magazine, which is published 12 times a year. Thanks again for listening.